listening to the bobby miller show hello everyone and welcome to the third installment of the bobby miller show today we are really excited to be hosting deroy murdoch deroy is a fox news contributor contributing editor with national review online an emeritus media fellow with the hoover institution a senior fellow with atlas network and a popular speaker he's lectured at the cato institute the council on foreign relations harvard medical school the Heritage Foundation, the National Academy of Science, Sciences, and uh, a lot of other prestigious universities. Um, DeRoy enjoys skiing on his free time. Uh, he likes fine dining, live music, and uh, he's uh, a really insightful pundit that I wanted to bring on to get his take on some of the uh, biggest issues of the day. So I guess DeRoy will just jump right in. Um, so uh, what do you feel, how, what are your thoughts on the... Uh, uh, Afghanistan uh, withdrawal and, and the debacle we'll, we're seeing play out uh, at the airport in Kabul. Well, Bobby, it's uh, great to be with you and your listeners. Um, I'd much rather be with you than be in Kabul right now. Uh, <laughs> what we're seeing there is absolutely astonishing. It's just a draw-dropping disaster. Uh, and I'm, I was really amazed and rather appalled at the speech that uh, President Biden gave when he uh, left his bunker at Camp David and came to the White House and basically pointed the finger at everyone else around him, took from all I could gather, no responsibility for anything that had gone on, uh, said he was basically uh, essentially a victim or a hostage of a, a terrible deal that uh, President Trump allegedly negotiated with the Taliban. Uh, Joe Biden has spent almost every moment since he got sworn in unraveling just about everything uh, President Trump has done, from the Keystone Pipeline to um, getting America back into the Paris uh, global warming pact, uh, unraveling the deals with Mexico, Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras on immigration, um, essentially uh, greenlighting the, the uh, Nord Stream 2 uh, pipeline uh, between Russia and Germany. All these, all these things that President Trump did, he's undoing. And now Biden says, oh, well, I had this bad deal. I'm stuck with it. Well, he's, it's the only thing with which he's been stuck. It's the only thing uh, Trump has done, which he claims he can't undo. Uh, so that's a completely weak argument. Um, this could have been done in the wintertime uh, when the Taliban basically are hibernating essentially in their caves like a bunch of bears. Um, that would have given the Afghan government a lot of time to go in, get settled in uh, and go province by province and only pull out once a province has been secured by the Afghan government. That would have been sensible. And these um, both American personnel, uh, journalists and uh, thousands of Afghans who've been wonderful to us, worked as, uh, as drivers, translators, uh, et cetera, assisting our mission over the last 20 years. Um, we should have spent the last seven months slowly, slowly but surely getting them out of harm's way. Uh, but instead, what Biden did was throw the southern border wide open, let all those people run in without visas, without permission. And the people who actually done something for America, uh, who ought to be um, uh, first uh, way ahead of those people on the list, uh, he just turned their backs on them. And I think thousands of them are probably going to be slaughtered by the Taliban. So this is a shameful, disastrous moment in American history. Uh, it's deeply embarrassing, deeply humiliating. And I, uh, for that, I, I blame 100% Joseph Robinette Biden. Uh, yeah, I, it is certainly a humanitarian disaster and a, a horrible embarrassment uh, and a big blow to uh, American prestige around the world, uh, for mm -hmm. sure. Um, uh, so you say you blame President Biden 100%, but do you think that President Trump uh, shares any of the blame for entering into the uh, Doha talks with the Taliban, kind of undercutting 
uh, the Afghan government and uh, uh, laying the groundwork for uh, this sort of withdrawal? Well, I mean, I think there's a uh, probably a diplomatic parallel between the talks that uh, President Nixon and Henry Kissinger had with the uh, North Vietnamese while at the same time trying to protect the South Vietnamese uh, government and the South Vietnamese uh, military. Um, you know, the, the Taliban, basically, they're the combatants. We didn't have a war or a fight with the Afghan government. We had a fight with the Taliban. And to the degree we wanted to end that uh, conflict, we had to engage in some sort of peace talks with them um, and try to figure out some way of getting out of this smoothly. So I think talks like that, if you're trying to end any conflict other than uh, going for um, unconditional surrender, which was not our objective, uh, you've got to engage in some of those talks one way or the other. And, and what uh, President Trump came up with was uh, basically conditional withdrawal. You, you withdraw from territories as the conditions permit you to do so. And you do so slowly but surely. Americans pull out. Afghan army pull, uh, pulls in, comes into the new, uh, into that uh, province or territory. And once they have it stabilized and settled, then you move on and you leave the next territory. That's a wise and sensible way to do this. And again, if you do it in the wintertime, which is not fighting season, you probably have four or five months while the Taliban are basically you know, hiding in, in frozen caves to do this. Instead, Biden had the brilliant idea of pulling out all at once, uh, announcing the, the pullout date, which was originally September 11th of all dates he'd pick unbelievable, uh, and then do it in the middle of the fighting season and, and just do it you know, all at once, all around the country without going uh, you know, step by step, which is what President Trump uh, envisioned. So again, he, he abandoned that while again, claiming that he's trapped in, uh, inside this uh, deal with the uh, Taliban, which is nonsense. And uh, Biden just did, just did this the most senseless, idiotic way you could. I mean, you may, I don't know if you, you've obviously seen the footage of the people swarming the, the jets at Kabul airport. I saw a yes. picture uh, just recently of the inside of one of those jets with 640 people uh, packed in, I mean, wall to wall, trying to get out of there on the way to uh, a U.S. base in uh, Qatar. Uh, unbelievable. I mean, this this is, it just looks like, you know, the collapse of Saigon or the evacuation of, of Warsaw ahead of, uh, you know, Nazi tank columns or something like this. Truly astonishing, totally unnecessary. And you say a massive, massive negative blow to uh, U.S. prestige. This is something that even the left-wing media uh, have not been able to uh, uh, paper over. Even, even they're attacking uh, Biden for having botched this so badly. Yes. Now, uh, the Biden administration certainly shares much of the blame for this horrible debacle. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I've heard your, com your colleagues at uh, NR, like Andy McCarthy and uh, Rich Lowry, uh, make the claim that uh, the, the, the deal that uh, President Trump uh, struck this uh, sort of, uh, you know, conditioning our withdrawal upon the Taliban meeting certain certain uh, parameters. Uh, they've they've though, your colleagues have made the claim that the Taliban was in violation of those uh, uh, stipulations from the start. So, what do you make of that? Do you, do you think this this deal, uh, you know, kind of opened the door uh, for a haphazard withdrawal in this way uh, because? you know, it essentially undercut the, the, the Afghan government by just kind of boxing them out. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, to whatever degree there's any truth to that, uh, Biden's been there since January 20th. He's had almost uh, just shy of seven months to negotiate whatever deal he thought would be appropriate and helpful to uh, American security, American national security interests, et cetera. And he could have come up with whatever deal he wanted. It could have been uh, you know, uh, another 50 years of war. It could have been an immediate pullout. It could have been conditional. Um, it could have been we leave and the Swiss army comes in. Wh whatever Biden wanted, he could have done. He's had all this time to do it. And for him not to do this and just say, well, I was trapped in this agreement. I couldn't do anything. 
then he races off to Camp David, sits in this uh, conference room all by himself, no advisors, no military, no intelligence people, not even his PR teams. They're all alone, looking like, you know, uh, a 78-year-old Macaulay Culkin, home alone at Camp David uh, with no assistance, nobody around him. Uh, he was, I don't think he's ever looked as weak. I don't think America, America's looked this weak since the days of Jimmy Carter. Uh, and this was just an utter disaster. So if Biden considered the uh, Trump deal inappropriate or inadequate, he's had the better part of seven months to negotiate anything he thought would be better. And he didn't do so. And all he can do now is run around and point fingers at other people rather than take responsibility. And then he finished his speech, went back to Camp David. My God, what is that? I figure if, if nothing else, for public relations standpoint, he would uh, stay in the White House for a few days. Uh, right now, he ought to be meeting in the Situation Room with his National Security Council. Uh, he ought to be bringing people back from vacation, like Jen Psaki, for example, and others, and at least pretend to lead. He's not even pretending to lead. He's not even trying. It, it's really embarrassing, and, and I don't know how America can take three and a half more years of this. Um, you know, At this point, assuming he finishes his first, and I hope, only term, uh, Biden's going to be there until um, January uh, 20th of 2025. Uh, I hope we can last that long with this incredibly weak, um, uh, feckless, and whiny president of ours. Utter incompetence. Um, totally incompetence. But, but where, where do you think we go from here uh, in Afghanistan? Uh, I'm, I'm very fearful. Look, my, my biggest concern right now is uh, sometimes you'll see, um, if you follow the, follow the weather at all, you'll see uh, Hurricane A um, run into Hurricane B, and you have uh, two hurricanes that merge and become even stronger. Uh, we've got uh, the Biden's Afghanistan crisis and Biden's border crisis, and I'm afraid the two of them are going to combine. And what you're going to have is uh, these uh, uh, former uh, Al-Qaeda and ISIS guys who've just been liberated from the uh, Bagram Air Force Base Detention Center. Uh, these are hardened, hardened uh, Islamic jihad jihadists. And uh, I'm sure now that they're free, they're thinking, how can I get to Mexico as soon as humanly possible and join the, I think it was uh, last uh, month, the 220,000 or so um, uh, people running across the border without papers, without invitation, blend in with them, <clears throat> get into the United States and, uh, and uh, come over here and kill Americans. Um, I'm very concerned about that, <clears throat> especially as someone who lives in New York City, which, as you know, is probably the biggest bullseye on the jihadist map. And I fear that these two crises are gonna to come together and we're gonna have uh, mayhem in the United States as a consequence. A scary prospect for sure. Uh, let's change gears here for a little bit in the, in the time we have remaining. Um, so I know you've written about the uh, CDC eviction moratorium and uh, President Biden's authority on the matter. Uh, I, I wanted to get your take on, on where things stand now. Well, we've got this Eviction moratorium, which originally was signed March of uh, 2020, right as the uh, pandemic was was taking off. And the thought was, if the government is going to force people to stay home and not work, the government should have some responsibility, essentially, to pay their rent if they're unable to do so. And I think this passed with big bipartisan numbers. Um, you know, this is basically, in a sense, I think of it as just compensation for the government taking your labor. So I, I think that was appropriate. Uh, that eventually uh, ran out. Uh, it expired January 31st, and the Biden administration kept extending it, even though the law ran out January 31st. Uh, the Supreme Court decided essentially that uh, this was a baseless, a legally baseless activity. Uh, but um, in the decision that uh, uh, Justice Kavanaugh wrote, he said basically, look, um, uh, rather than just turn this thing totally up, upside down, uh, we're going to give you a month in Congress 
to uh, go ahead and, and create a new law of whatever sort and actually codify this thing. Um, the uh, U.S. House met for just 10 days in July, 21 days they took off and partied. So they didn't spend any time updating this law. The Senate didn't do anything. And so essentially this law completely expired and uh, the CDC of all agencies, not the uh, White House issuing an executive order or, or the Department of Housing and Urban Development, but the Centers for, as I call it, the Centers for Disease and Rent Control came in and issued yet a, a brand new eviction uh, moratorium, which is not based on any federal statute. It's not based on any law. It wasn't passed by Congress. It's just a complete, uh, 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 basically, regulatory uh, edict. Uh, and again, not even from an agency that's involved in, in housing affairs. I mean, this would be like the IRS being responsible for um, uh, uh, space launches and the National Park Service uh, being responsible for food stamps. I mean, can, if you're going to have, have uh, out of control government activity, can we at least get it in the agency in which it's relevant? Yeah. Uh, so the Biden administration isn't doing that. Uh, I think this is going to go to the Supreme Court again as a result of uh, landlords who are very frustrated that they're They've got uh, people who have not paid them any rent since March of last year. And I suspect that uh, uh, the same uh, uh, justices who ruled on this are going to rule that this is unconstitutional and that Biden has to stop this tyranny. And if they if they want to do this, then pass a law and sign it. That's how we do things in this country. We don't just have edicts, uh, completely lawless edicts coming out of the uh, regulatory bureaucracy. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you on the legal case. Um, I was wondering if you can get your take on, on, on the... Uh, uh, the substantive policy case for, you know, something like this, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, I'm just curious uh, if you think this is good policy or not. Well, again, I, I think, uh, look, to the degree that the government told us last year, you, you have to stay home, you can't go to work, you've got to stay in your house. Uh, if the government does that, it's in a sense, think of it as a taking, you know, if, if uh, um, the uh, government decides, hey, we need to take your house because we got to put in a highway or we need to put in a, an elementary school. Um, you know, that's eminent domain, essentially. And they'll say, look, uh, uh, Bobby, we're going to take your take your property, we're going to run a highway through it, but we're going to pay you, uh, you know, fair market value for your property. Maybe it's, let's just say it's a hundred, it's a million dollars to pick a round number. Um, I think that when the government says, look, we're going to take your labor and essentially make you stay home because you uh, we need people to stay home so we don't uh, overwhelm the hospitals. Remember 15 days to flatten the curve. Remember that thing? It sounded like yeah. <laughs> 15 months. Anyway. So to the degree that people are unable to pay the rent because the government has told them they can't work, um, I think it's appropriate to um, provide some assistance to them in that, uh, in that circumstance. Now, what's unfortunate what's happened after 15 months is you've got people who've, who are, are able to pay their rent, refuse to pay their rent. Uh, I heard about some, someone on t TV just yesterday who uh, complained that the uh, tenant owes this landlord $50,000, a lot of money. So I think at this point, now that we have the unemployment rate back down to 5.3%, we have, I think it is 10.5 million jobs going begging right now. Um, and a lot of people basically staying home, uh, you know, getting paid by Biden to stay home and watch Netflix, essentially. I think it's it, this program has run its course. Um, it needs to wind down, should stop by now. Uh, that's what I think. So I would just end it. I would, I would issue a ruling if I were on the Supreme Court saying that the extensions that the Biden administration issued after the law expired January 31st are unconstitutional, inappropriate, vacate them and tell people, all right, uh, you need to pay your rent now. And um, if you want to get a job, there are 10.5 million, million of them out there. And so if you want to pay your rent, get a job, make some money and pay your landlord um, the money that you owe. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. And I, I, I think what's, what's lost on this conversation is that, you know, a lot of people think of landlords as these big fat cats, but a lot of landlords, uh, 
you know, they're, they're middle class. They have, uh, you know, one or two tenants uh, living with them. Uh, and, and they, they can't do anything about it. You know, their, their tenants have pay, haven't paid rent for months. Absolutely. Um, yeah. The so bank, it, of course, it, wants them to pay their mortgages. So they're stuck. Yeah. They've got yeah. bills from the bank and no revenue from their uh, tenants. So how do you, you know, how do you get out of that vice? Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's uh, regressive in a lot of instances. So, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so, well, you know, while we're on the topic of COVID, what, what do you think is the future of, uh, you know, what do you think the future lies in store in terms of the pandemic? I, we're seeing this Delta surge right now. Uh, what do you make of uh, calls for, th- for things like vaccine mandates? Yeah, I think this thing's gotten completely out of control. I, I, overseas, it's unbelievable. Apparently in uh, New Zealand, they had one new case. Uh, constantly, they shut the entire country down for three days and the city of Auckland, New Zealand for five. Um, Australia seems like it's gone completely totalitarian. They're, they're telling people don't even have conversations with your neighbors after nine new cases. Uh, we're not that out of control in this country, but it could continue. Um, I see masks as essentially instruments of government control. Uh, they're just a way for the government to, to, to put leashes on us as if we were dogs uh, and, and keep us, you know, tied to the to a stake in the middle of the, of the backyard. Um, you don't lot of, you don't see them as effective at all. No, I, I think they spread. If you want to look, if you want to wear a mask, great. But uh, I, I've been fully vaccinated. I've been fully vaccinated since roughly May 1st. Um, and I'm tired of masks. I wore them for the better part of about uh, 13, 14 months. I've had it with masks. I don't want to, want to wear masks anymore. That's my choice. You know, if I get sick, I get sick. If I do, I'll, I'll, I'll take the wide array of therapeutics, which were provided um, largely by, by Operation Warp Speed and the efforts of President Donald J. Trump and his administration to get these therapeutics online. That's helpful. Um, if people are, are afraid or they've got weak immune systems or whatever, then they're perfectly free to use masks if they want to. Uh, putting masks on, on kids in particular, I think is egregious. Um, a lot, apparently there are all sorts of problems with kids um, not being able to learn to read lips, which is something little kids need to do. One thing we've all learned in this pandemic is how much lip reading we do. Um, I don't think we really thought about that very much, but we have a mask on, you can't read people's lips and you have no idea what people are talking about. It's a total nightmare. And this garbage where you've got to wear uh, masks on airplane flights, the airplane airlines will run TV ads saying, we've got these wonderful filters that, that, that filter all the air on the plane every 60 seconds so you can fly safely, but you got to wear a mask. So which is it? Which of these two messages, messages are we supposed to believe? And you're supposed to sit there. And if you're having a drink or eating your snack, you're supposed to um, keep your face covered unless you're quote, actively eating, whatever that means. Uh, and, and then cover your face. And so I've got the mask going back and forth, back and forth as you're popping, you know, uh, uh, putting uh, cookies or little snacks or potato, potato chips in your mouth. I mean, it's just absolutely absurd. So I think we've reached the point where anybody who wants a vaccine can get one. They're available for free all, all across the country. I've been vaccinated. I urge other people to get vaccinated. But if you are uh, afraid of the vaccine, if you have an underlying, underlying uh, a weak immune system or, or condition that keeps you from getting it, that needs to be respected. I think the CDC and the Biden administration have got to uh, do something about people who already had COVID-19. They've got natural immunity. They need to be uh, uh, part of the uh, conversation. Uh, people, if, if we're going to have you know proof of vaccination, we should have proof of immunity because you've already had the disease. And those people ought to be able to, to, to be respected for that. They are not part of this conversation. And we're talking about 35 million people uh, who've already been through this terrible experience. They've got the antigens already. And they ought to be respected for that and not be expected to get vaccinated, which actually can have very adverse effects if they've already had COVID-19 and then you get vaccinated, that can have uh, 
uh, very negative health consequences, especially if you're younger. There have been a, a number of instances of, of young men have had um, uh, swollen, uh, swollen hearts, heart enlargements, enlarged hearts because of having COVID-19 and getting vaccinated afterwards. So this is an awful thing. And I, I think we're at the point where we have enough vaccines around. And I would just put it this way. I respect a woman's right to choose whether or not to get a COVID-19 vaccine. <laughs> Interesting way to put it. I know we only have uh, a minute or two left here. So uh, before, we, before you go, uh, with all these crises raging from Afghanistan to the border, as you mentioned, uh, just a complete uh, haphazard uh, rollout of the eviction moratorium and, and COVID still raging, what do you think the prospects for a Republican uh, sweep of the House and Senate are in 2022? Uh, look, if, if Biden continues the way he is uh, with a spectacular, just a breathtaking level of incomp- incompetence overseas and domestically across a wide range of issues, I can't think of anything he's touched that hasn't uh, turned a manure, to put it very politely. Uh, and if this continues, I think a lot of people are going to say, you know what, we didn't vote for this. We, you know, People said, well, we're, we're tired of, of Trump's Twitter blasts. Well, I hope people are happy. We don't have Trump's Twitter blasts, but look at look at all the raging infernos we have from the complete collapse of the border to the complete collapse of Kabul uh, to uh, an ongoing mess with COVID-19, attacks on the rule of law, uh, crime popping up, uh, cropping up from uh, coast to coast, uh, homicide rates on the rise. Inflation is now part of a vocabulary once again for the first time in decades, probably in a generation. And uh, Biden doesn't back off on these things. He just doubles down on them. You know, he just goes from from dumb to stupid to uh, whatever the next step is after that. And uh, there's just a complete vacuum of leadership. The uh, hard left of the Democrat Party is in charge. And if they keep this up. I think they'll be in big trouble next year. What the GOP needs to do is to be very vocal about this, be very focused, hammer the Democrats nonstop, uh, pin the blame on them for the multifarious disasters that they've perpetrated and, and have a positive vision of returning to limited government, uh, free markets, personal, personal responsibility, uh, individual, uh, uh, personal responsibility, individual liberty, and um, peace through strength. And those are the pillars on which I think the GOP can uh, win big in 2022. And uh, with any luck, uh, flush the Democrats and uh, the Biden-Harris administration into the nearest water treatment facility uh, in November of 2024. <laughs> Roy, thank you so much. Really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, Uh, Thanks again for listening to The Bobby Miller Show. Thank you very much. 